Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 85 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're finishing Galatians and then moving through Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Let's begin. Galatians 4 carries over from chapter 3, Paul's argument about the relationship between the law and the Messiah. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Paul then diverts his line of argument to appeal again to his readers to turn from the false teachers and embrace again the gospel that he had taught them. After this aside, he gets back into theology, using Hagar and Sarah as contrasting examples of faith and law, slavery versus freedom. Then he asserts, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Galatians 5, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, begins magnificently. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As he continues his argument, he draws a clear line in the sand between law and grace. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We then find Paul again, as in chapter 4, diverting briefly from his line of thought to urge his readers to turn their backs on the false teachers. And then, as in chapter 4, he returns to his main objective, though shifting now to a more practical emphasis. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The chapter continues this line of thought to the very end, with Paul contrasting the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, noting, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Chapter 6 of Galatians, another chapter well worth reading, continues Paul's practical application of his gospel teaching, urging, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul includes additional lines of counsel such as, Each one should carry their own load, and a man reaps what he sows. He also encourages, let us not become weary in doing good. He then wraps up his book with a final note, contrasting those who want to impress people by means of the flesh and his own determination, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The final line in the chapter and book, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. 
And we're on to Ephesians, a letter to God's holy people in Ephesus. This book contains some of Paul's most beautiful prayers, the first in chapter 1, the second in chapter 3. Ephesians 1, by the way, an excellent chapter to read, begins, after a brief greeting, by celebrating the wonder of God's redemptive work. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This redemption, Paul goes on, is lavished on us according to his good pleasure, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. After continuing this thought for several more lines, Paul begins the first of those two magnificent prayers. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm going to let you read the prayer for yourself, which transitions into a rapturous exaltation of Jesus Christ. Here's a teaser line. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Ephesians 2, by the way, another chapter well worth reading, begins. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then some lines down. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That last line is expanded and emphasized in the following lines, with Paul also noting, we are God's handiwork. Paul's letter focuses on the inclusion of non-Jews, Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, in the body of Christ. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And he makes sure this point cannot be missed. He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Ephesians 3 is also well worth reading, as is the rest of this exceptional book. In this chapter, Paul spends the first verses explaining the purpose of his ministry. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you which was to understand and proclaim the mystery that is, through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. As he explains his mission, he also tips the church to God's mission, which is unfolding in the church. And that is, making known the wonder of God's redemptive work to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. After this, Paul launches into the second of two prayers in the book, driven by awe at the wonder of divine love. 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He prays that the church may be rooted and established in love and know this love that surpasses knowledge. The conclusion of Paul's prayer reveals a transition point in the book from big theological ideas to practical application, beginning in chapter 4. And that chapter begins with practical counsel to pursue unity. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul explains in this section how the various gifts of the Spirit are manifested for the singular purpose of building up the church until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul transitions to an invitation to the Ephesian believers to no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, but instead to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self would speak truthfully, displace anger with peace, stop stealing, and lead to generosity, even bring an end to unwholesome talk. Paul's final line of encouragement in the chapter is, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, another chapter well worth reading, encourages follow God's example. Then Paul urges the Ephesian believers to break ranks with the surrounding pagan culture. Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Paul counsels the church to be very careful then how you live. And then a few verses later, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. The remainder of Paul's instruction in the chapter is to husbands and wives, beginning, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then Paul continues with specific counsel to wives and then husbands. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord and to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Ephesians 6 begins with counsel to children to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fascinatingly, Paul also has a word for fathers here. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves are encouraged to obey their masters, and masters to treat their slaves with kindness, including these words, do not threaten them. Paul then gives some final instruction on the Christian life. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Following this counsel, he encourages the church to be alert and prayerful, praying for him as well, that he might be fearless in proclaiming the good news. After a few final words, including the introduction of Tychicus, a dear brother, Paul finishes, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And that's Ephesians. Philippians 1 begins, To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. The Philippian church filled Paul with gratitude every time he thought of them. Early in the chapter, Paul also informed the church that he was praying for them, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul tells how being a prisoner for Christ has served to advance the gospel. His chains have inspired believers to proclaim the gospel without fear. He then acknowledges that some preach the gospel out of love, while others do so out of selfish ambition. Either way, Paul is grateful that Christ is preached. Paul then speaks to the possibility of his death and yet declares, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Before the chapters end, he urges the believers, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Philippians 2 is probably the most beautiful of this small letter's four chapters and a must-read. The early lines of the chapter reflect on the selfless example of Jesus, as Paul invites his readers to have the same mind as Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He highlights Jesus' voluntary humiliation, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Then he encourages the church to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Then he offers additional encouragement. Before mentioning two fellow workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, both of whom have been a huge blessing to Paul, and both of whom he plans to send to help the Philippian church. It's worth noting that Paul would actually be sending Epaphroditus back as the Philippian church had sent him to Paul to take care of his needs. Speaking of Epaphroditus, Paul writes, He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Philippians 3, a chapter well worth reading, begins with Paul warning the church about false teachers, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Then Paul briefly shares his prestigious Hebrew background before confessing, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. While acknowledging he had not yet arrived at his goal, he declared his single-minded focus. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
The rest of the chapter finds Paul encouraging the believers to be faithful, anticipating that Christ will one day transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippians 4 wraps up this short letter with words of encouragement, counsel, and gratitude. Among the prominent lines in the chapter are these, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul spends considerable time expressing gratitude to the church for their generosity to him, both in gifts and by sending Epaphroditus, though he first makes note that, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The last line of the book is, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Colossians 1. By the way, this first chapter well worth reading. To God's holy people in Colossae. It's also worth noting that Paul requested this letter also be shared with the believers in Laodicea, a town in the region. As in the previous book, Paul expresses gratitude for the church. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Paul also notes, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And then there's this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. He then shares the specifics of their prayers for the church. Paul transitions from his prayer to the supremacy of Jesus, declaring, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Not only that, but he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is also the great reconciler, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul then spends a few lines speaking of his sacrificial commitment to proclaim the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2 begins with Paul explaining further his reason for writing. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. This he's telling them, so they won't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. These false teachers were drawing the believers away from Christ, shifting their attention to human tradition. So Paul affirms the centrality of Christ, in whom all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And also this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Then he turns to address more directly the issues the church was dealing with. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. 
These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. These false teachers were puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Then he urges the believers to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. These things included sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, anger, malice, etc. In their place, they were to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. As God's chosen people, they were to exhibit compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. Another powerful line from this chapter Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. The chapter concludes with counsel to wives, husbands, children, fathers, and slaves. And then we're on to Colossians 4, which begins with counsel to masters. Then Paul gives a few final words of instruction before moving to the final greetings. Some of the names specifically mentioned in the greeting are Tychicus, Aristarchus, and Mark. There's even a woman, Nympha, with a church in her home that's mentioned. The book ends, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And that's all for today.